Hello and welcome to another episode of Insanely Criminal. I'm Emma. And I'm Jem. And we've got my first episode this week, which I'm quite excited about. Very uh, excited. One, yeah, the first one I've written. I uh, had a lot of fun investigating this. Um, and I'm looking forward to teaching you about it because you don't know much about this one, I don't think. No, it's just the aftermath and things that I know about. So Yeah, which I think a lot of people do. And that's, I didn't know too much about this. Only kind of the really popular parts. But it was, the inspiration for this came when I watched a film a few weeks ago, which uh, I will come on to very shortly. Because <laughs> uh, that will completely give the game away. <laughs> and I want to have a bit of suspense. Be a bit theatrical around it. So. Well, I watched a couple of things before on YouTube. <clears throat> um, I was like, oh, I know nothing about it. Mm. And I think I watched like a 15-minute BuzzFeed Unsolved. <laughs> Excellent. And I was like, this still doesn't tell me that much. <laughs> so I'm hoping you're going to teach me a lot about this one. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Shall we, uh, shall we get started? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so picture the scene. It's October 1929 in the US. A Wall Street crash had just happened, which triggered the Great Depression. Prohibition had been enforced across the US for nine years, so it was a desperate time for a lot of people. Around this time, a period sometimes referred to as the public enemy era was just beginning. This was where various notorious criminals that were being pursued by the FBI and law enforcement were publicly named and shamed in an effort to encourage authorities to catch and prosecute them. The general public became fixated on this idea uh, almost as a distraction to everything else that was going on. Uh, And thanks to the media, they started to give these particular individuals an almost celebrity-like status. So the people we'll be talking about today are two of the most well-known public enemies and one of the most famous crime couples in history. So if you haven't guessed it by now, uh, we are, of course, talking about Bonnie and Clyde. Perfect. Very yeah. excited. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I watched a film called The Highwayman a few weeks ago, which is about uh, the story of the two men, uh, or it was a, a group of men, really, but primarily one man, um, who attempted to track down and apprehend Bonnie and Clyde. Um, so that film starts quite late on in their story and really only follows the kind of last um, act, if you will. But there's loads of stuff uh, that we're going to talk about in how they got going and um, the gang that they set up and everything like that. So let's get going. Where do we start? So I'm going to look at their upbringing first. So, Bonnie Elizabeth Parker was born on October 1st, 1910 in Rowena, Texas, to Charles and Emma Parker. Bonnie's father died in 1914, causing her mother to move the family to West Dallas, to a poor area known as Cement City. Bonnie didn't show any inclination towards a criminal lifestyle while she was growing up. In fact, she was a very bright student who enjoyed poetry and literature. She also had dreams of becoming an actress. In Bonnie's second year of high school, she became involved with a classmate, Roy Thornton, 
They married in September 1926, just days before Bonnie's 16th birthday. The marriage proved to be short-lived due to Thornton's frequent brushes with the law. He was also physically and mentally abusive towards Bonnie. They separated in 1929, but never divorced. That same year, Thornton was sentenced to a five-year prison sentence for robbery, and Bonnie moved in with her grandmother and took a job as a waitress. She never saw Thornton again. Clyde Chestnut Barrow. Yes, his middle name is Chestnut. I love that name. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of got like criminal, like cool, notorious written all over it. Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> he was born uh, March 24th, 1909 in Pelico, Texas, to Henry Barrow and Kumi Walker. He was born into a poor farming family and in 1922, a drought forced the family to sell the farm and move into Dallas. Similar to Bonnie, Clyde showed no early signs that he would embark on a life of crime and instead had musical aspirations, playing the guitar and saxophone. He also had an admiration for the US Navy and tried to enlist as a teenager, but his application was rejected on medical grounds. It's not known exactly uh, what it was, only that it was rejected. It's around this time that things started to fall apart for Clyde. So he began spending more time with his older brother, Ivan Barrow, better known as Buck. Buck had dropped out of school and had already begun committing various crimes by the time he was a teenager. Under his influence, Clyde started himself to turn to a life of crime, uh, beginning with petty thievery. His first arrest was in 1926 at age 17. He was arrested for car theft. In reality, it was just that he'd failed to return a rental car on time. His second arrest was with his brother Buck when he was caught trying to sell a truckload of stolen turkeys, which is a classic kind of <laughs> 20s crime, I would say. <laughs> That's like something you'd see like in a, a film described as a caper. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? A great stolen turkey caper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, aren't you? That's they didn't have, have much going on, so you know, let's turkeys were a valuable commodity, I'm sure. Yeah, especially Christmas time. I mean, yeah. you could really make a fortune, absolutely <laughs> pure profit. So, after the turkey incident, uh, his crimes escalated to car thefts and armed robberies. Um, and by age 20, Clyde became a fugitive from the law. So unlike Bonnie, he has already got into that life of crime, um, but generally seems to have had quite a nice upbringing, um, unlike a lot of the people that we looked at. You can kind of see in their childhoods where things start to go wrong, but both Bonnie and Clyde seem to have had fairly normal upbringings, um, but it's Clyde that starts to stray down that path uh, when he becomes a teenager. Yeah, I always find that wild when people have had really good childhoods, but still go down that path. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad, but we shall find out uh, what happens to him. So, Bonnie meets Clyde. So, in January 1930, Clyde met a 19-year-old waitress through a mutual friend and was immediately smitten. The waitress was, of course, Bonnie Parker. 
The pair quickly became inseparable, but this was interrupted when Clyde was arrested and convicted on various counts of auto theft. Clyde was sent to Eastern Prison Farm in April 1930. This was a kind of low security um, prison and it was hard manual labour that he had to do, um, hence it was kind of a farm environment. Um, Clyde immediately began his escape plan. Uh, He couldn't bear to be apart from his beloved Bonnie, uh, this part they'd fallen deeply in love um, and were absolutely inseparable. Bonnie was completely under Clyde's spell um, and she con- he convinced her to smuggle a gun into prison for him. As lovesick as Bonnie was, she was more than willing to come to his aid and didn't even question the criminal element to this. This would be the first time that she would break the law um, but she'd absolutely do anything for her beloved Clyde. On March 11th, 1930, Clyde used the weapon to escape prison, but he was captured a week later. He was sent back to the same prison, but this time given a sentence of 14 years hard labour. He was repeatedly sexually assaulted by another inmate during this time here, and this is what was said to change him from a minor criminal into the hate-filled killer we know him as today. Clyde eventually retaliated against his attacker by killing him with a pipe. This was his first act of murder. It's said that another inmate who was already serving a life sentence claimed responsibility for the killing. Um, So Clyde basically got away with it. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Um, But then it's... It reminded me a little bit of when we looked at Charles Manson, how that kind of horrific abuse this he just snapped one day yeah i think it would eventually happen though to anybody you you go through that level of abuse then you're going to retaliate at some point yeah absolutely so (coughs) yeah throughout his time there he still had a passionate correspondence with bonnie uh, and again began thinking about his escape plotting how he could get out and get back to her in an effort to be relieved of the hard labor sentence um it's the the details of this whether he did it himself or whether he got someone else to do it are not entirely clear but in an apparent accident he had his big toe and part of another toe cut off oh yeah so he wouldn't have to do that hard labour uh, out on the farm. Um, but unbeknownst to him, his mother had been petitioning for his release from prison and he was actually paroled on February the 2nd, 1932. So he didn't need to go to the effort of having this accident. Um, he was released shortly after. Oh, it's made me feel so queasy. Oh, he must have been desperate. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, I don't know what would drive me to do something like that, how desperate I'd have to be. Oh, God. <laughs> Love makes you do crazy things, apparently. Oh, apparently so. I don't know if it would send me that crazy. <laughs> no, I've never cut off a toe for love. I don't imagine I'll ever do that. Yeah, I might pass on that one. <laughs> uh, if I do, please uh, intervene. <laughs> I will, before you do it. (laughs) Yeah. If I ever talk about severing toes as an an act of love, please, uh, the edge intervention. Use it as a key ring. (laughs) 
So due to the accident, Clyde would walk with a limp for the rest of his life. Clyde was said by his sister to not be the same person when he got out, and a fellow inmate, Ralph Fultz, said he watched Clyde change from a schoolboy into a rattlesnake uh, throughout his time in prison. So the formation of the Barrow Gang. So with Clyde out of prison, he was reunited with his beloved Bonnie. Clyde initially tried to stay on the straight and narrow, taking a job at a Dallas glass company. But after police harassment caused him to lose his job, he quickly resumed his life of crime and began a criminal gang, which was known thereafter as the Barrow Gang. The Barrow Gang featured various members throughout its lifetime, but its original incarnation consisted of Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie didn't initially join. Um, She only joined a few months after its kind of creation. But again, she absolutely would have done anything for Clyde, so didn't see any issue in getting involved in this criminal gang. Um, Ralph Fultz, um, the inmate uh, of Clyde's, was also there, and Raymond Hamilton, who was another inmate of Clyde's, uh, when he was in Eastham. During the time inside, Clyde and Fultz had already agreed that what, when they were free, they would exact revenge against Eastern pri- Prison by raiding it, killing the guards and releasing all the inmates. And that's kind of thought to be what Clyde's main motivation for a lot of his the things that he did. He wanted revenge for all the terrible things that happened to him in there against Eastern Prison and the kind of Texas Correction Institute as well. Um, and that's kind of what drove him to do some of the terrible things that he ended up doing. I mean, you kind of can't blame him. Yeah, it it goes back to that kind of going through that horrific trauma. It obviously affects you in a really, really terrible way. Um, but yeah, you can kind of piece together like where it starts to go wrong it's fascinating this because you can in all of the ones that we've done so far there's almost like a a trigger point where you think that's the moment yeah that's the moment where it all uh, it all kicked off yeah definitely I think especially when we did Manson too you know there was that moment where he could have been completely stopped yeah too and it's just it's wild how you can time stamp it, really. It is. That's the benefit of hindsight, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so the Barrow Gang, uh, they were primarily robbed gas stations, small businesses, um, but they became known in the media, um, famously as bank robbers. Um, they didn't really rob banks that often. Um, they preferred lower risk places any banks that they did rob were kind of small town um, ones where security was particularly lax the goal was to collect enough money and firepower to take revenge against eastern prison this initial incarnation of the gang wouldn't last very long in march 1932 the gang launched an unsuccessful robbery of a hardware store in kaufman texas which resulted in the capture capture of both bonnie and ralph fultz Bonnie was in prison for two months, but was, was released after a grand jury failed to indict her. She'd claimed that the Barrow Gang kidnapped her, and having previously had a clean record at this point, she was released without any further charge in June 1932. She spent her time in prison writing poetry, um, which there are some 
interesting poems that were, have been widely reported uh, that I will come on to um, perhaps in the second part of this. Fultz, on the other hand, was tried, convicted and sentenced to 10 years. Uh, he never really rejoined the Barrow Gang, but he did have a connection with them in the future, which, uh, again, we will come on to. Whilst Bonnie was in prison, Clyde and Raymond Hamilton, another member of the gang who had managed to evade capture after the hardware star robbery, continued on their crime spree. In April 1932, still in need of cash, the pair robbed another store in Hillsborough, Texas, this time shooting and killing the owner, J.W. Butcher. This was the first murder committed by the gang. When Bonnie was released from prison, she immediately went in search of Clyde and the pair were once again reunited. Bonnie didn't seem phased at all by the fact that the gang had now gone from kind of small town robberies into all-out murders. Um, she was just going along with whatever Clyde said at this point. In August 1932, the gang killed their first police officer in Stringtown, Oklahoma. The officer, Deputy Sheriff Eugene Moore, had approached the gang in the car park and tried to arrest them for having an open bottle of whiskey in the car. The gang also mortally wounded Sheriff C.G. Maxwell in the same incident. Raymond Hamilton left the Barra gang a few months later. He was eventually captured separately and sentenced for murder. Uh, he was ultimately executed by electric chair in 1935 at just 20 years old. Oh, that's so young. Yeah. They were all, <laughs> these, the members of the gang were all, like, ridiculously young. Um, and it's really sad. Like, some of them were just teenagers. You're just like, what? <sighs> What happened? What what goes wrong? I know, especially if they're getting things like the electric chair that early too. It's just yeah, that's bad, bad guys. Yeah, definitely. So we move on to now the classic Barrow Gang uh, and the media attention that surrounded them. So by November nineteen thirty-two. Hamilton had been replaced by a man called William Daniel Jones, known as W.D. Jones, or Deacon. Jones had been a friend of the Barrow family since childhood, and he absolutely looked up to Clyde. He was only 16 when he joined the gang, but already didn't hesitate to use guns. Um, it's thought he'd already killed a man by the time that he joined with the others. The gang committed another murder in the town of Temple, Texas. On the 25th of December, 1932, Jones spotted a brand new car with its keys still in the ignition. Seeing this opportunity, he climbed inside and attempted to start it. Clyde went to assist him, eventually alerting the car's owner, Doyle Johnson, a 27-year-old grocery clerk. Johnson grabbed hold of Clyde in an attempt to stop him, but Clyde began screaming at him, saying, get back or I'll kill you. A struggle ensued and Doyle Johnson was shot in the neck. He died the following day, leaving behind a young wife and infant son. The gang went on to kill another police officer, Deputy Malcolm Davis of Tarrant County, Texas. And then they wandered into a, as they wandered into a trap set up to catch another criminal gang. The gang had now murdered five people since April 1932. In March 1933... Clyde's brother Buck was granted a full pardon and released from prison. 
He quickly joined up with the Barrow gang, bringing along his wife, Blanche Barrow. The gang, consisting of Bonnie and Clyde, W.D. Jones, Buck Barrow and Blanche Barrow, became known as the classic lineup, and the one the general public would soon come to learn about. The gang decided to maintain a low profile and set up a hideout, hideout in Joplin, Missouri. The group were not exactly subtle and would run loud alcohol-fueled card games late into the night. They eventually caught the attention of the local police department, who suspected that bootleggers were living there. The police confronted the gang, which resulted in a shootout, killing two police officers, Detective Harry L. McGuinness and Constable J.W. Harriman. The group escaped, but left behind most of their possessions, including a handwritten poem by Bonnie and several rolls of undeveloped film. It was these two items that ignited the public interest in the Barrow gang, and in particular, Bonnie and Clyde. The photos showed the pair posing with guns, Bonnie posing with a cigar in her mouth and pistol in her hand. The photos were published throughout the US, and this was the start of the gang's notoriety. So these these are the most popular images, and kind of this is where the glamorised, romantic view of Bonnie and Clyde comes from. Yeah, these are the pictures I saw before as well. Yeah. And I was like, they're really cool looking there. Yeah, and it was, <laughs> they'd just been messing about, just posing, and Bonnie was then seen as this, like, criminal mastermind, this absolute badass who would just kill anyone, smoke cigars, uh, which was obviously unlike a lot of um, famous women at the time. Um yeah. So she, the public, almost fell in love with them. Um, this kind of crime couple who were madly in love and roaming about the American Midwest, killing everybody, robbing them. And often it was kind of seen as, because of the time when this was happening, like during the Great Depression, that they were kind of taking back what was rightfully theirs in a way. Yeah, that they were still the government had had done this to the country, had, had driven so many people out of business, and that these two people were just kind of doing something. Um, they were kind of sticking it to the man in a way. Um, but obviously, we will see how that image starts to tarnish. Oh yeah, I mean, I think in that era, good for them. I mean, get it. <laughs> Because I don't know, I think that's why they're so iconic. And that's why I never hear, like, some of these people we talk about, you can say, like, oh, I hate Charles Manson, you hate all these different people. But I never hear anybody saying, Bonnie and Clyde are a true disgrace. They're always yeah. on a pedestal, aren't they? Yeah, they were. It was like this, this public enemy era of uh, in American history where it was or like pulp detective comics and stuff would glamorize that kind of gangster lifestyle. Yeah. Um and because again of everything that was happening in the US at the time and across the world really, it was a distraction. Um it was something that, you know, kept the public's interest and it became sensational and the press loved it. That they massively over dramatized it and and that's why Bonnie and Clyde have this kind of fantastic legacy behind them because of the way the media whipped all this up, which still happens to this day. You know, that's why there's such a 
an interest in true crime because yeah. of like the the notoriety behind some of these people. Yeah, definitely. It's it's just crazy. Yeah. But then we wouldn't have a podcast without them. So that is very true. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna say thanks because they did kill a lot of people. <laughs> but yeah. We wouldn't have a podcast if it wasn't for them. <coughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> so, because of this, um, after this point, life on the run became harder and harder for the gang. Um, thanks to this newfound fame, uh, they became a lot easier to spot and they were constantly pursued by law enforcement. Um, they could no longer hide out in restaurants, hotels. Um, they had to live their life on the road, camping, uh, cooking their own food and everything like that. Everything else was just too risky because their faces were plastered across um, all the national news media. At this point, the FBI joined in on the manhunt after gathering evidence that the gang had driven a stolen car across state lines. In June 1933... Clyde was driving and failed to see a detour sign for a road that was under construction. Uh, Clyde was known for being a very erratic driver anyway, um, and he missed the turn and plunged the car into a dry riverbed. Um, the car was a wreck and it spurted battery acid all over Bonnie's right leg, resulting in third degree burns. Jesus. Yeah, but because they were on the run, um, he was un- Clyde was unable to take Bonnie to a real doctor. Um, she was taken to a nearby farmhouse where they were helped by a couple that lived there. They managed to stop um, the most severe burning, but uh, Bonnie's leg was never properly healed because she never got to go to a real doctor, um, resulting in her having a limp for the rest of her life as well. Oh, God, so they both have So they're both limping now for various <laughs> reasons. <laughs> So they're definitely made for each other. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're a young couple in love, both got a limp, absolutely made Limping for each their other. way through life. <laughs> Limping <laughs> their way through these crimes. <laughs> Bonnie's injuries were so bad that sometimes Clyde would have to carry her. And this is kind of around the this image of Bonnie that was portrayed, that she was like this machine gun-wielding maniac when in actuality she can barely walk by this point. Um, So it shows how different the media's portrayal of her was um, from from how she actually was in real life. After this, the gang were involved in a number of close calls with law enforcement, which almost always ended in a shootout. In July 1933, the gang was involved in a shootout at the Red Crown Tourist Corps, no one was killed in this incident, but Buck Barrow was shot and gravely injured. Just four days after this, the gang was involved in another shootout near Dexter, Iowa. Buck was shot again, and both he and his wife were captured. Buck died of his injuries a few days later, whilst his wife Blanche was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Blanche ultimately got um, paroled after six years in prison. Uh, she then got a new identity, uh, ended up marrying. Uh, again and she died in 1988 oh wow yeah this same year i was born weirdly well, i was a bit young a bit bit earlier <laughs> so old <laughs> <laughs> you're not but so old did, oh i feel it did the did the authorities give her a new identity or did she choose to i think the authorities gave her a new yeah. identity. i bet they'd have to yeah 
I mean, she was would have been absolutely notorious. She never would have been able to live a normal life again. God, no. Um, having the Barrow surname, so... Uh, yeah, she yeah. she would have been tarnished with that her entire life, and she probably was anyway. But yeah, she uh, she she did manage to live a normal life uh, after she was released from prison, normal as you can as an ex criminal. Well, yeah, because I'm sure you'd still have to. I wonder if her husband and you, like when she remarried, I think you'd have to say something. Yeah, surely you wouldn't be able to, uh, kind of. Keep it a secret, it'd eat away at you, surely. Yeah, I, I mean, especially in that time, it's like if someone says, Oh, what have you been doing your, your whole life till you met me? Uh, it's the Great Depression. <clears throat> it's like, What can you say? <laughs> you may as well just say, Well, I was in a scan. <laughs> Crazy. But yes, yeah, so uh, she, she, she obviously paid her time but she got a she ended up having a life which is more than you can say for a lot lot of these other people yeah definitely some people can't turn their lives around can they so so the exploits of the gang were now widely reported in the media uh, and the gang made it really clear that they wouldn't hesitate to shoot anybody who got in the way the cold bloodedness of their murders opened the public eyes to the reality of the crimes and they started to become hated um, rather than kind of romanticised and idolised to an extent. The remaining gang members continued to commit various armed robberies and in September of that year, Rista returned to Dallas to see their families for the first time in four months. It was here that W.D. Jones parted company with the gang. Jones was arrested two months later without incident and returned to Dallas. It's not known whether the parting was amicable or not, um, just that they parted ways. Um, it said that Bonnie and Clyde, it started to become apparent that they had this almost death wish that they knew the only way out of this was to go out in a hail of gunfire. Um, and that was not a view shared by W.D. Jones. And I think it, it was known that he had to get out of there, otherwise he was going to end up the same way as them. Yeah, I mean, that would kind of put you off. Yeah, they they had, <laughs> when we get on to, uh, in the second part of this, the poems that Bonnie wrote, um, they're quite chilling because it just shows you her kind of state of mind. Um, and it's really sad the way that, that this ends up. But, again, that's love for you. Don't, it is, apparently. Don't, don't fall in love because you'll end up in a crime gang. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> We've warned you. <laughs> so Bonnie and Clyde narrowly avoided arrest themselves in November 1933 whilst trying to meet with family members. Local law enfor- enforcement came wise to this um, and they lay in waiting for the couple. But Clyde, sensing a trap, drove straight past his family's car. The officers opened fire anyway. Um, no one was injured. Uh, the family members caught in the crossfire were not injured. But a single bullet hit both Bonnie and Clyde in the leg uh, and they escaped later that night. On November 28, 1933, a Dallas grand jury delivered a murder indictment against Bonnie and Clyde for the killing of Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis nearly 10 months earlier. 
this was to be Bonnie's first warrant for murder. So the Eastern Farm prison breakouts. So this whole time, as we said, Clyde had this idea that he needs to exact revenge on Eastern Farm prison where he was incarcerated, where he was assaulted uh, for all that time uh, and ultimately where him and his inmate had planned this kind of this revenge. So th this is what's been driving him this whole time. So on January the 16th, 1934, Clyde orchestrated the breakout of prisoners from Eastern Farm. This became known as the Eastern Breakout and was seen as Clyde finally achieving his goal of taking revenge on this place and the Texas Department of Corrections. Raymond Hamilton, so a previous Barrow Gang member, was one of the escapees. Um, he ended up rejoining with the Barrow Gang, but not for very long. Along with another convict named Henry Methvin, uh, he also joined the Barrow Gang and he was with them almost until the end. This breakout generated a lot of negative attention for Texas and for the prison um, institute itself. Um, it resulted in a shoot-to-kill order being issued by for Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it was at this point that the Texas Department of Corrections contacted former Texas Ranger Captain Frank Hamer and persuaded him to hunt down the Barrow Gang. He was retired, but his commission had never expired, so he accepted the assignment as a Texas Highway Patrol officer with the specific task of hunting down the gang. Frank Hamer Garrett gathered a group, he had a little posse, um, to chase them down, and they basically became the shadow over the next few months, um, often only one or two towns behind them. Throughout this time, the Barrow Gang continued in their killing spree. Uh, Methvin and Clyde killed two highway patrolmen on April the 1st, 1934, in the area of Grapevine, Texas, with Methvin killing a const an elderly constable just days later in Commerce, Oklahoma. These murders were widely reported across the US news media and wildly exaggerated, helping to cement the public anger against the gang. There was a massive backlash against them at this point, um, and these reports set into motion the events that would ultimately lead to Bonnie and Clyde's demise. And that is where I'm going to leave it for this week. Oh, a, a cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, the next part, I want to go into quite a lot of detail on the kind of how they died, how they got caught, um, all the ins and outs of what happened to them afterwards, what happened to the legacy um, and what they've inspired. Um, so rather than rush it, I'm going to leave you dangling and leave you wanting some more. Oh, see, as soon as you said that she wrote poetry because I'm such a nerd, I was like, I must look it up. Yeah. But I was like, no, I'm going to wait until wait. next week. I don't want to ruin it. Um, I just think they're going to be amazing. <laughs> they're, they're really sad. They are They're kind of heartbreaking because yeah. you can just see, like, this girl who... You know, she was an honor student. She was really, really bright, really well thought of, meant to be like a beautiful young girl, wanted to be an actress, and she just ends up with the wrong people. And I mean, it's so easily done, though, yeah. isn't it? If you fall in love with somebody, you're in love with that person, and you will follow them on whatever path that they're on. And it's a kind of um, 
a common theme in a lot of these that it's like looking back to Manson again, all the women that were under his spell. Bonnie was completely under Clyde's spell and would have done yeah. anything he said, including um, cold-blooded murder, robbery, and other such things. I mean, it's kind of like um, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley as well. Yeah. I mean, she was under his spell, but I think she turned out to be worse than him anyway. Yeah. Much Absolutely. worse. Absolutely. I think maybe if I'm I'm in this criminal guy, I'm thinking well, this is not really what I wanted to do but then if my boyfriend burned me with battery acid because of his terrible driving <laughs> i think that might be the part where i'm like oh i'm not sure this is worth it anymore you know it's yeah, one I've thing connect with people for a lot less yeah like <laughs> you need to learn to drive better stop trying to kill me but she was so young as well though um yeah i think that might play into it that she was quite naive definitely definitely oh, Bonnie I already feel sorry for her yeah I think <laughs> from uh, the way the media portrayed her but uh, yeah we'll see so that's it yeah I'm really excited for part two. I mean, really we may excited. even do that as like a maybe perhaps a midweek bonus episode. I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna dangle that there. Yeah, we could do, <laughs> but but don't hold me to that in case we. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we have to do it episode. now. <laughs> yeah, we could. You never know. Keep your uh, okay. Keep your so, peeled. thank you everybody for listening. Uh thought you enjoyed my first of hopefully many episodes. Um and we will speak to you next time. Definitely. Thank Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Goodbye.